0: Hello and welcome to the Soccer Capital Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Turner, and uh, perhaps you noticed or perhaps you didn't that uh, I had a little different opening to this week's show. It's in honor of what yesterday was, was International Daryl Grove Day, a celebration on his birthday of the influential and beloved uh, late podcaster Daryl Grove of Total Soccer Show, who we lost to colon cancer about 13 months ago. I am certain that I am not the only soccer podcaster or that we are that uh, was you know influenced and inspired by Daryl Grove started listening to them during the 2014 World Cup and been listening ever since and if uh, you don't listen to Total Soccer Show though I bet most of you do the Total Soccer Show podcast uh they grew from nothing during that they were Ported on every game, not just every U.S. game during that World Cup, gained a listenership and went from basically unknown into a powerhouse with a 5 day a week podcast and their own network of guests. So I just want to give a tip of the cap to uh, Daryl Grove. We miss you, Daryl, but uh, we keep doing this as a celebration of what you did and how you inspired us. And on that note, also joining me in the studio here in Southern Illinois is our producer Mason, and in a remote location in St. Louis County is Sean Campbell. You guys doing all right today? Just uh happy to be here.
1: I I am here, but I'm not happy, but we'll get into that later.
0: Uh life does move on though. Happy to be here unlike some uh some teams.
1: Shut up Mason.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and on that note before we get started uh just a reminder to you to be please if you're listening go ahead and subscribe and uh rate and review the podcast it really does help us out got a uh, kind of a big show for you today we've got a uh, little bit of news on st louis city the first team and the academies we'll be covering uh looking back at uh, the mls playoff games that uh, happened during the past week and uh Also some uh, news, there's a lot of action and movement going on in MLS and some news about uh, MLS TV ratings and TV right negotiations. So we'll get into that and we'll start off with the hometown team, St. Louis City SC. They did hire a scout this past week, Alessandro Soli, a uh, respected European-based scout. Uh, Did try to look up as much information as I could find on him. Uh, He's worked freelance scouting with a lot of teams, is respected over in Europe, has also worked with the Gambian national team, and he comes in as the first scout that's been announced with the Lutz Finance deal and the City program. And a couple of thoughts on that, but again, European-based, we've got Academy coach from Europe, Lutz is from Europe. We seem to be pretty European-based right now. Don't have a coach yet. Uh, did bring in John Hackworth, who at least gives some MLS knowledge in the structure. Uh, one thing that I'm going to keep looking for is um, to see if they get a scout that knows Latin America pretty well. Uh, one thing that we do know in the history of MLS that uh, some of the best uh, players to come in and get acclimated quickly into what MLS is do come from Latin America either from Central America, the Caribbean, or from South America as well, especially Argentina, very prevalent in the league. Uh, I know Lutz has a very defined style that he wants to play, uh, very much uh, in the growing German mold of uh, high-pressing, high-intensity, so-called gang-impressant type uh, play. Most uh, noted as used by uh, Red Bulls in their system, either at Leipzig, Salzburg and Austria, or even here with the uh, Red Bulls, New York and MLS. So it's one thing I do want them to I would really like to see them get involved in Latin America in a big way to try to find players uh, that can adapt to a high energy, high intensity that have the ability to think very quickly. And do their reads very quickly, like uh, will be demanded by Lutz's system. And also, uh, coming from South America, they tend to be cheaper than they come from Europe. Uh, highly skilled, very technical players, but also in Latin America, you get a lot more physicality than you get in Europe, which is something that we see in MLS. It's very much a, a big thing in uh Western Hemisphere soccer circles. They also tend to be cheaper than European base. They come in, they're ready to play and they seem to be much more eager to make the trip to MLS than some European players have been because of, you know, the news from a decade ago about what kind of league MLS is. It's changed rapidly, especially in the last five years and especially the last couple. So, uh, you know, don't want to see the team get too european based it hasn't really worked in mls going that route uh then that's my thoughts on the subject anyone else have any thoughts on that
2: uh i mean it both with how eurocentric the front office has been and also lutz's insistence on playing this um like the the energy drink style um it's not surprising uh this is also the first scouting hire So I think it's too early to be like blaring warning signals and stuff. Um, You know, we don't need the klaxons going off yet. This is the first one, I'm sure, of many. Um, If it starts being that all of our scouts are Euro based or the majority of them, maybe then we might want to look a little side eye. But this is the first of many. I don't think it's um, dangerous. I just hope it's not a harbinger of things to
0: come. Well said. Yeah, I'm not sounding warning klaxons. It's just more of what I want to see uh, coming out of them going forward. Of course, I'm not the expert on running a team. Lutz has a lot more experience on that, so uh, giving benefit of the doubt. Also, with St. Louis City, there is Academy news. The U-17s will be traveling to California this week uh, to play in the MLS Next Fest, as it's called. They're in the Generation Adidas section and they'll play three games against other MLS academies that'll be involved in this. And what it is, is these are actually qualifiers for seeding for next year's Generation Adidas Cup. I'm not truly familiar with that cup, but that's what's going on this week. And, uh, this is going to take place in Norco, California, which I assume is in the LA or maybe in the San Francisco. I'm not familiar with Norco and didn't bother to look it up. And, uh, They'll be playing on December 3rd and get a test of high-intensity, high-pressing soccer with a game against the Red Bull New York Academy. They'll also play December 4th against the Portland Timbers Academy, and then December 6th uh, get another shot like they had to start off their MLS next campaign with the Chicago Fire this time. Also, St. Louis Scott Gallagher will be sending multiple teams from their academy to mls next they'll be in the other section of it called the showcase and they'll have a lot of games on that upcoming uh we'll try to keep track don't know exactly how the information is going to flow information is always hard to come by when it comes to mls next but uh we'll keep you up to date with any of that as it goes forward and uh, other than on the app showing that they're starting to install lights at the stadium, not a lot of other news coming out of St. Louis City in this past week. Uh, everyone in MLS is getting ready for you know the in- roster changes as we're heading to the playoffs. In a couple of weeks, we're going to have the expansion draft with Charlotte FC. We'll learn a lot, and we'll follow that pretty closely for you as well. Moving on in the show, I think it's time we go ahead and – Take a look at what is going on in MLS. And the big news, of course, is the MLS playoffs. Uh, We do have a dark horse out there in the running, and uh, it is Real Salt Lake coming out of nowhere. They already knocked off Seattle Sounders, and this week they went into Children's Mercy Park and uh, got past Sporting Kansas City. And give us a little information on that game. We've got our own Sean Campbell.
1: Yeah, uh... I was not happy with the performance on the field from the guys this week, but uh, Salt Lake came out. They they came out. They wanted to win, and Johnny Russell said it best. We look we looked like a team that didn't want to lose, not a team that wanted to win. And in the end, that was that was the end of it. Um, it's almost like we got that first that first goal, and then just kind of sat back and hoped we could hold on to it. Went level, tried to go for extra time, and then just, game just got away from us. RSL. I hate them. I hope that I hope they lose to Portland. I feel very, very, very gross taste in my mouth just saying that. But no, Real definitely played the better game. Um, they, I, 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 don't know how to explain it much else other than that. Um, but yeah, this this whole Western Conference has been an absolute crapshoot uh, as far as who you could pick and who's supposed to win and who's going to win. A uh, very, very fun matchup coming into
0: into the conference final, for sure. Yeah, and in, in some ways, RSL's been lucky so far. They've been good. Well, I don't know if they were good against the Sounders. Defensively, they were good. A couple of uh, bangers off of the goal, and it had never gone to the penalty kicks for them to get past Seattle. But they played a whole different type of game against Sporting KC. They were much more proactive, didn't bunker down. Uh, sporting had a lot of the better play at the start of the game, but, uh, didn't get that second goal after Russell scored the penalty kick and RSL grew into it and grew into it. And, and also there's a raft of, uh, players that come in off the bench for RSL that are quite exciting and seem to be better than the answers that sporting KC were able to put out. Of course, Alan Polito did start for Sporting KC, but he's been injured, so he looked rusty. Wasn't his usual self-pulling people around. The same sort of thing that happened in Seattle where they, you know, Raul Ruiz Diaz and Nicoladero were not able to start. Alex Roldan wasn't able to start because of injuries. Jordan Morris came on and started, but he's been injured and out with an ACL all season until the very end. He was rough. So... RSL seems to be getting the good side of the draw against these teams, fe- facing teams that had injuries late coming into the playoffs. And they'll get that again upcoming when they play the Tor- Portland Timbers, uh, because Timbers uh, will be without Sebastian Blanco and without Darren Espria. Blanco really seemed to have tore up his hamstring during that game, sad to see, and uh, Espria kind of lost his mind and got a red card on the touchline on the side. And, and uh, they're out of the game, and RSL gets to get a depleted staff going in again.
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. Portland yeah. did not make the best of decisions closing out that game against Colorado, but uh, they definitely deserve to win that in Colorado. Definitely, they seem to come out a little flat, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, and uh, it also showed that uh, Colorado at home, Portland won 1-0, in Colorado, it was on Thanksgiving Day. we we'll have a little bit more on that in just a moment. Uh, but Colorado showed what they've showed all year. They're very tough defensively. They're well-drilled by their coach, Robin Frazier, who has done a fantastic job there. But they don't have that big game-changing performer like Sebastian Blanco can be. Uh, To break open a game. They don't have a definable scorer on that team. They seem to make it out of messes that perhaps their defenses uh, cause. And it just never clicked for them. They never got going in this game. They never really looked that frightening to Portland. And Portland actually seemed like they won by more than they actually did. There was uh, one other game, and this time in the Eastern Conference. Philadelphia hosts Nashville in uh, number 2 against number 3 seed coming into this one. And just like uh the this was more exciting and more uh higher quality a bit than the uh Philadelphia Red Bull game in the first round. Nashville very exciting in their win in the first round came into this one. But uh they could only get a draw and they headed on into extra time, dragged on, dragged on, we went to penalty kicks. And what did you think of the penalty kicks round there? Sean, did you see that?
1: Uh, between Philly and Nashville? Yeah. Oh, oh my goodness. I
0: <laughs> it's some of the worst.
1: I I Nashville lost. Nashville lost that game more so than Philly won that game, but Philly deserved every inch of that win. That's the only way I can describe it. Because Philly came out, they played pretty well. It was a great back and forth game. Nashville played their game well. Philly played theirs well. It, it was honestly one of the most exciting games I've seen this whole playoffs, in my opinion. And Nashville came into the penalty kicks and just... Am I am I allowed to say shit the bed? Because they shit the bed.
2: <laughs> uh, they did more than that. Yeah, I guess we'll mark this one explicit. But yeah, um, I really thought that Nashville had it in the bag after Mugtar scored. Um and then Philly scored uh, in stoppage time before the half and changed the whole character of the game. And um, and then it's, yeah, this really intense back and forth all the way up through extra time. And then we get to PKs, and Nashville was just abysmal. The only one that had even a decent shot was Mukhtar, and his was not great. Yeah. And everyone else was horrible.
0: They went 0 for 4. It was... Uh... There was a couple of saves in there for Andre Blake, but really, Nashville didn't test him, and uh, Philadelphia went on and won. Uh, Jack McGlynn, uh, the youngster for Philadelphia, had a really cool and classy uh, finish.
1: Absolutely ice-cold, ice in the veins shot right there.
0: Yeah, that was- that was, the, the cheeky little stutter step that was just beautifully executed? Yeah. Mm-hmm. and. Yeah. Got Joe, St. Louis's own Joe Willis off and got him to commit and just went the other way and put it in. Yeah. Didn't need it. They already had one. And that's but, all they needed. <laughs> but uh, that was uh, surprising.
2: Nice little dagger.
0: Yeah, Nashville had two just complete
1: misses. And one just of them was from Zimmerman. Close. Yeah. Like, he knows what he's doing and he skies it.
0: Just brutal. Maybe he should have headed it in.
1: <laughs> I don't think you're allowed to do that.
0: <laughs> maybe could have dove on the ground <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh man but yeah because we i was watching
2: that and Mukhtar's shot wasn't bad but it wasn't great and it just was so much worse after that just horrible stuff
0: yeah I did put on twitter i thought it was uh the worst example of penalty kicks i had ever seen it was pretty bad but uh philadelphia did do it again philadelphia's problems with uh Gaining uh goal chances off of the run of play weren't there. But uh, surprisingly, with Walker Zimmerman and their great defense for Nashville, they're very susceptible to set pieces. And Philadelphia got uh, a set piece, got to Scrum, and scored from the chaos. They're very good at that. It's how they persevered and got to the second seed in the East for this one. Uh, so they move on, though they won't get to host the next game. Or perhaps not. Maybe they will. Because uh tonight... We're recording on Tuesday afternoon. Tonight, uh, the New England Revolution, the Supporter Shield winners, and home field advantage if they win out all the way through to the actual cup title game, will be taking on New York City FC uh, tonight. So after doing two recaps of playoff soccer for the MLS Cup playoffs, we still haven't got to review what the... New England Revolution can do. And that could be a big factor in tonight's game. I mean, they haven't played in weeks. Weeks. I guess they had almost a Almost a month.
1: Almost a whole month they haven't
0: played. Almost an entire month. And coming up against a talented, technically talented, and possession-holding team in the NYCFC that may just have the blueprint to break down the Revolution... And, and score. How do you see this one coming out, Sean?
1: Oh, this is definitely going to go NYCFC's way. I don't care how good the Revs were in in the regular season. I don't care that Matt Turner just won MLS Goalie of the Year. When you take a, a, almost a whole month off from actual competitive play, I don't care what team you are, you're going to come out dragging. We saw it with Colorado. They took only a, like two and a half weeks, and they couldn't put away Portland, who was in form. They've been playing. They didn't, they didn't get too too much of a break. But I think there's going to be a lot of rust on this on this Revolution squad, and NYCFC is coming off a pretty pretty impressive performance in their last game. So I I've got I've got the Citizens winning this one. It's gonna be fun to watch for sure.
0: Yeah, I, I think it will be. Uh the not only the Revolution haven't played in nearly a month, but they're playing perhaps the one team that really Matches up with the uh, playoff teams that are left that they could have met. Uh, NYCFC can break them down and can beat them. Uh, the Revolution, what they done? They haven't. They've got the most points in a regular season in MLS history, but they haven't been, you know, bowling teams over. They more have a lot of talent. Garless Heel is fantastic. Tejan Buchanan's come up. Uh, They've got a lot of other quality players, and they always seem to to win the game, even if it takes a goal in the last three, four minutes. That's their one to fighting factor. Can they get there? We'll find out tonight. What's your take on what's going to happen, Mason?
2: Well, because it's been about a week and a bit since NYCFC played Atlanta. They're not exactly in form either. They've obviously had a much shorter break than the Revs have, but it's kind of going to come down to who's able to get back into form better after their respective breaks, I think, because if the revs come out and their game fit and they're in form, I don't think that NYC FC has a chance. However, if NYC is is able to recover better, it then yeah, it's no question. It's really who is able to recover from their break
1: better. Just keep in mind that only having a week in between games is pretty standard for most clubs. So, just just throwing that out there.
2: Yeah, which is why I'm I'm leaning NYCFC, but if the Revs stayed in form, then they might not. You know, they really do still have their chance.
0: I for me, I'm going to go ahead and pick the Revs anyway. Uh, The reason being NYCFC. Has played beautiful, beautiful soccer all year long. They've really, even though Tati Castellanos won the golden boot, that's because nobody else on his team can score. They've had real trouble scoring goals and taking away wins. Revolution have had no trouble with fighting through and taking wins. So I'm gonna go with the Revolution in this one. It would not be surprised for the upset, but that would be my pick.
2: I don't think anyone's been able to pick anything accurately since the first round. So
0: <laughs> no, not really. Uh one thing we also did not pick was the TV viewership numbers for the big Thanksgiving Day game of MLS in Colorado against Portland going up against NFL football, but carrying over from an NFL game on Fox. Got big numbers. Not as big as was first reported on Twitter today. There was some confusion on that as a number of over 7 million, 7.2 million was done, but there was bleed over into the start of the pregame from the postgame of the NFL game from Nielsen that kind of boosted, you know, changed all of the numbers. The official ones, though, are still quite large and shouldn't be sneered at, even if the incorrect first numbers were so big that got everybody excited. 1.9 million people was the viewership for that game on ML, uh, MLS game on Big Fox. That is the second biggest rating that MLS has ever had. The only one that topped it was way back in April of 2004 when Freddie Adu played his first game as a 14-year-old in MLS. That's quite a while ago. It also is the most ever ratings that Fox has ever had. And also that number 1.9 million is larger than any English Premier League match that's been on television in the U.S. has ever gotten in viewership. So it's a big deal. And uh it kind of shows that there is a market out there for MLS. And that's good news for MLS because they're heading into uh negotiations for their television rights. And given that uh what's a the numbers debatable, but uh NBC paid two point six or two point seven million dollars for the rights for the next few seasons of English Premier League. And most of that's going to end up over on uh, their streaming network on Peacock. They'll have a few games. It used to be on NBCSN, but that is going away. Uh, Get used to tuning in on USA. It looks like they're going to turn that into their soccer one. But that's a huge, huge number. Uh, Two billion pounds for the English Premier League and it's just turning the english premier league into the evil empire they just keep taking all the monies out there and dominating even bigger uh, leagues that are getting really kind of fed up about the inequities in europe like the bundesliga and la liga serie a's been left behind and uh and a uh, league in france well they've got issues with viewership money and their fans going nuts over there
2: yeah but Two million pounds, that's probably that's two point five million dollars plus. Yeah, it's a big. It's a big deal. Um, and yeah, I mean, one thing you got to consider is that for a Thanksgiving game, you know, uh, how many how many of those one point nine million people were actually watching? But they don't care about that. The only thing they care about is the one point nine million. Whether those were engaged viewers or
0: not, that's not important to the business dealings. Yeah, it wasn't a bad game either. Exciting, competitive, uh, give the people what they want. But the viewership is out there. And uh, heading into the TV rights, I'm expecting, because MLS rights have been minuscule, just a few million dollars a year to the each club each season. I am expecting that to go up and maybe a little eyebrow-raising figure to come out of the upcoming TV rights. A lot of this has to do with various factors. One of them, that what the EPL rights that NBC won were highly competitive, and uh, there were some reports that uh, NBC did not even have the highest one. It's just that uh, they're committed to EPL as their only soccer franchise, and they do put out a lot of games out there every week. And also they have that long history with the premier league and quite frankly, their production values and what they've done with the premier league is some of the best sports broadcasting I've ever seen in my long life of watching sports broadcasting. So they legacy kind of kept it up going. Uh, EPL did say they've been fantastic partners. That's part of the thing, but there was competitiveness for those rights from very many places. Um, one that's been underlooked is Warner, which, uh, owns TBS, and is possibly going to also merge with Discovery, which would make Discovery Plus a possible streaming. That'd be funny with all the programs they have on Discovery Plus. But they could be in the market for MLS rights as well. And that's going to give competition between Fox, ESPN, and other players out there. CBS is really wanting to get in and push their Paramount Plus, which would be a shame because... I've tried to watch a couple of things on Paramount Plus, and it won't even open or it's not there. A lot of people have seen that. But uh, part of the thing why I'm expecting a big number for MLS TV rights is, you know, you've got the World Cup in 2026. It's a big lead-in into that when it's hosted here in the U.S., and the ratings were extremely high when they hosted it back in 94, which really kicked off the soccer craze in the U.S., almost from nothing at that point uh also there's going to be a bounce in 2022 if we get to the world cup and i think we all agree that the u.s is in pretty good shape to go ahead and qualify for that but nothing you know is set in stone but uh, if they are there's going to be a bounce in soccer given that the world cup and that's coming right around one exactly one year from now it'll be going on in qatar another big thing that you hear a lot of people talk about the overall viewership numbers how they're high or low for mls but with soccer in general mls included what they have is they have very coveted demographics young affluent uh somewhat gender neutral as well which is different than say nfl Uh, and that's very enticing for advertisers so even if you have a low viewership if you've got the right viewers and me having work in television, I know that that is a sellable product to advertisers and can make money. Uh, the rights won't be anywhere near the numbers that we were talking about for the English Premier League at all. But uh, it does, given the right that MLS has so many games, it gives them ability to do a relatively inexpensive product. that They can put on their air. They can put on their streaming services. They can then sell the advertising for. They can promote heading into uh, the World Cup's upcoming, it's it's actually more for what it is, the potential of being, than what it's going to be right now. Uh, but the potential is big. The potential growth for soccer in the U.S. is very, very large. And a lot of these uh, services out there, they understand that uh, if they get in and get their production up and running, that they're already set up and take advantage of that. Because amongst most major sports in the U.S., soccer is growing at a much, much higher rate than any of the others out there. Also, if you take in all of the soccer that's out there from the English Premier League, especially uh, from uh, Liga MX with uh, the Hispanic uh, audience, MLS, the other ones, Serie A, Bundesliga, that Stream, there are more viewers for soccer than there are for, say, hockey. So there's a big potential pool of audience for the sport. It's a potential, the the breakup of leagues that makes it different uh, from other North American sports. And uh, just competition. I think there's going to be people wanting these rights. So if you're negotiating MLS, that's going to be crawling on their hands and knees trying to find someone this time. I think there are organizations out there that are going to want to get involved and get these rights to these games For the next four years or however long it is so it's something to keep forward to i have no idea when they're going to terminate or come to a conclusion on this but given the numbers from thanksgiving i thought it was something to share with you all especially since i did work in television years ago and i have a little understanding about it i can break this down as well any other thoughts on tv rights from you guys
2: i I see this probably ending up being a bidding war between like you know disney with espn fox whatever and um, well, I guess not Fox, because they had to spin off their uh their sports base. But um, uh, yeah, like ESPN and uh, probably NBC. Um, although with NBC just picking up the English Premier League again, uh, maybe not. I don't know. Yeah, I NBC see.
0: said that they were going to keep they clear, and EPL will be their primary. So I'm not really seeing them get involved in MLS. Really could be because they do have a streaming service, but uh, I'm not anticipating that.
2: I mean, Disney's such a hegemon uh, a hegemony when it comes to everything that it's hard to imagine this doesn't go to ESPN. Right?
0: Could be. EB- uh, ESPN has their service. They don't really service MLS very well. They show the games, but they cut out pregame shows, or they don't have any. And of course, being what they are, they crowd in as mini games nonstop, so they bleed over, and you know, you get things happening. Maybe another one. The one to keep your eye on is that TBS, uh, Discovery, Warner uh, mix. Uh, that's a big deal. I believe actually they were after the EPL and came in with a strong bid. So keep your eye on them. That could shake up everything on that. CBS, I think, is not, I think they're going to want a piece of this action too. And see if uh, MLS splits it up amongst the carriers like they've done with ESPN and Fox
1: regardless of who ends up carrying the games coming forward my only thought on this is is this is nothing but a good sign for the league showing that we're growing and we can actually get competition instead of having to beg people to show our games uh it that's just a real good sign from a fan perspective being able to see that hey we get to pick and choose who's pl- who's showing our games now we can be picky we can get more money in and from my perspective, one of the big things I like to harp on is if that's more money coming into the league, that's more money going to the team. That means we can probably see, hopefully, fingers crossed, an increase in salary cap, transfer money, maybe an extra DP spot. Who knows? It could it, If nothing else, it can bring more and better players to the league and we can pay people better. Better product on the field. Love to see it.
2: Absolutely. And you have to take advantage of this rapid growth in MLS because the growth that MLS is experiencing is not sustainable. It will stop eventually. Take advantage of it while you can. Get that money into your league while you have the chance, because eventually that growth will dry up. We've looked at we've looked at the percentages, we've looked at the statistics. We know it's not
0: sustainable. Get in while the getting's good. And as we saw with the NBC, if you have a legacy of doing it, you do it right. Uh it can matter a little bit in negotiations, especially if the deals are close, but you don't trust the pro- production values or how it's going to be delivered on another channel. Uh, that could be something against ESPN. However, ESPN Plus, one thing I do like about it, it's one-stop shopping for MLS. You can get all the games at one pretty low price, uh, but you also get the the team's announcers to do it. And I kind of like that. It was selling point on the old MLB TV that I had when I lived in Arizona and uh, you get a chance to listen to other announcers. Some are good. Some are bad. Some are great. So I like, uh, I like that. We'll see what happens going forward here.
2: Yeah. Cause you, uh, unless it's a nationally broadcast game, you get the local broadcast when you watch it on ESPN plus. Um, so you get that, that flavor.
0: Now, there's one thing that's different in these uh, negotiations is that uh, Soccer United Marketing, the arm of MLS, uh, is no longer associated with the U.S. men's national team. So in the past, rights the U.S. men's national team was also packaged with MLS. They think that there is enough soccer fandom now in the U.S. that they don't have to do them as a package deal. They can do them separately. How that affects negotiation rights and all that. That's we've. That's something to be seen, but uh, Sports United Marketing also does a lot of production and consulting work for other suppliers of television rights for soccer. It's actually been one thing that's kept MLS uh, keep growing financially and kept them going, especially during the pandemic when leagues like in Argentina, the Bundesliga took a big hit, uh, Liga in France, MLS did still took a massive hit. But we're still able to go out and sign players, which has not always been the case in the rest of the world for the past year or so. We do have other MLS news. Uh, It's getting into the silly season. It'll be even more so when the playoffs are over, uh, which will be in about a week and a half. There's been some turnover and some coaching hirings. There's been a lot of openings out there, and some of them have been filled. One that happened right before we started recording is it's been reported that... uh, FC Dallas have agreed to a new coach. It is uh, Nico Estevez, who has been an assistant coach with the U.S. men's national team. He'll be moving over to FC Dallas. Reports are also showing, in a nice bit of irony, that his place with the U.S. men's national team will be taken by former FC Dallas head coach. Uh, Luchi Gonzalez will become of the U.S. men's national team.
2: Doing a little hostage swap here,
0: yeah, something like that, on a bridge no, over no, a no, river no. somewhere.
1: Let's look at it as it is. It's it's just a sub. They're just subbing in a new head coach for FC Dallas by also subbing in a new coach in the US Men's National Team system. That's all it is. It's just a sub.
0: They're doing yeah, they're doing a like for like. <laughs> Interesting job for Estevez to take because uh, FC Dallas has released quite a few players uh, as of today. They have two open designated player spots. And, of course, they have one of the better academies in the world right now, supplying a lot of talent in a lot of top leagues. So they got that to work with. The only problem with two open DP spots for Dallas is they've been traditionally quite poor in uh, buying international players to help bolster their academy products.
1: I will definitely say this, though. Uh, looking at where this guy's coached, he's been coaching in the Valencia system for better part of a decade, uh, and then went to was an assistant with the crew for a few years before he was with the men's national team. And if he's coached in the Valencia system, I have no no trouble believing that he can find some, if nothing else, decent players that he coached through that academy and in in the B team that he might be able to bring over, fill those spots, and actually turn Dallas into a a, a real threat. Um but no I I I have faith that he can turn this team around it just looking at where he's been before. Especially with Dallas's really robust
0: academy. A lot of uh lot of lot of heads to choose from in there. And I don't know what goes on with Dallas. Uh not all of their DP signings have been poor. Francisco Hara came in from uh Liga Mekis and everyone expected him to be, you know, very successful, be a star. It just never worked that way under luchi gonzalez they played great from the back in the midfield and then they get in the final third and they just had no ideas Haro was a big money spend he got benched so ricardo pepe el train could come in and do what he did here at the latter part of the system kind of gives you an idea what their dps are really like they often sit on the bench and they spend money to get them and they don't perform on the field we'll see if that changes going forward just is something in FC Dallas somewhere that goes on with that.
2: Yeah, it doesn't do you any good to drop that kind of money on a bench warmer.
0: Yeah. And also, if you keep bringing up kids from the academy, it's a big thing. Everybody wants to do it. It's a lifeline of financial reserves for every club in MLS. But how far do you go? You still need to win and get fans in the stadium. And FC Dallas is not noted for being one of the more robustly followed uh, clubs in the league. So we'll see how that goes. One team that is robustly followed, both by fans and by dollars, is Toronto FC. And the Reds made news last week. They cut ties with Alec Curtis, their GM. They're without a coach. To everyone's utter shock, sarcasm there, Bob Bradley has been hired to fill both roles. (gasps) Shocking. Shocking. I am in
1: shock. I am in shock.
0: Absolutely floored.
2: Nobody, nobody saw this coming. Definitely not us. Not even the
0: Oracle of
1: Delphi could have seen this (laughs) one
0: coming. He does get to coach Michael Bradley, his son, who he hasn't coached on the club level since like 16 years ago or something like that. Uh, You know, the family, there's always speculation. Does that give Michael Bradley a chance to become an assistant coach or a head coach as goes on? I don't know about anybody thing about that. I think Bob Bradley's coming in to coach a team that has some talent, has not worked well together, maybe needs some changes, bring in his system. There is a great fan base, a great stadium, and a lot of financial backing from the ownership of the club. So, see if they could turn this ship around. We look at Toronto FC as big winners, but they were only big winners for about three, four years. Before that, they tried really hard and just were terrible. Then they got the team together and they almost won the quadruple, uh, including Concacaf Champions League. That went down to penalty kicks that they didn't win. On top of MLS Cup supporter, supporter shield and the Canadian Championships that season.
2: Yeah, Toronto is a big market, um, so not surprising that it's a you know that's a big club, regardless of performance on the field. Uh, which performance on the field this season has been abysmal. <laughs> to put it lightly yeah yeah so, we,
0: i was blaming chris armis i blamed chris armis at the beginning of the season but boy they didn't improve after he left so maybe i was a little too harsh on him sorry chris uh they also cut ties with uh, josie Altador, freeing up some space there Altador did come back later looked in shape if he stays healthy he could still be a force looking at you colorado somebody needs somebody that can score occasionally even if he only plays half a season. Uh, But we look for Toronto to make up some changes. I don't think Bob Bradley's coming in here to limp around. I'm expecting him to uh, try to put a a system together that fits the team that he has and bring in other players to augment that system that he wants. Because LAFC didn't have such a great season this year, but he did come in and build a definitive identity for that club that they will have moving forward and the year they won the supporter shield they played perhaps the best soccer that mls has ever ever seen without a doubt so we'll see what happens there
2: and not even necessarily expecting a full rebuild if to call it that but especially with uh bob bradley taking over both head coach and um uh gm front office positions I think we're going to see, if not a full rebuild, something close to it.
1: Oh yeah, he's going to take this roster and do a lot with it. It's going to, we're going to see a a lot of changes. They may not be rebuild changes, but it's, there's going to be changes for sure. And he basically is free reign because he is the guy he has to answer to when he wants to make those changes.
0: And uh, also getting a new head coach, the Chicago Fire have announced well-respected Ezra Hendrickson as their head coach. I'm I can't say as I've followed him a lot, but a lot of insiders really are happy he got the job. Think he's going to do a good job there. They have uh, sloughed off, let's say, a whole mess of their roster, including announcing someone let them go, you know, weeks before the end of the regular season, which was funny. On the other hand, you can look at it as a bad decision, but it also gave those players a little head start to find somewhere else and let them know ahead of time. All in all, probably not the wisest decision by a front office. They are also a team with money and an ambitious owner. They just don't seem to have a real clue about what they're doing right now. But there is some talent on that team, and they have had moments where they've looked very good, and then they just turn around and give him stupid goals after stupid goals. So they've really been their own worst enemy. See how that goes.
2: Probably a good idea for Chicago to try something other than just rebranding their way out of the problems they've gotten themselves into, like they've been doing
0: the last couple of times. Yeah, but they they really need to fire something up because they moved into downtown Chicago into Soldier Field. That's a big stadium and a big step. You know, it looks impressive unless you've only got that stands about a quarter filled. They did have a huge crowd there at the end of the season. that gave away a lot of tickets, but they that that crowd was thumping and rolling and gave people a taste it's not a bad idea to do if you're going to make changes for them to have done that
2: and i will say if chicago stays mired in the muck i don't
0: mind i don't like chicago very much <laughs> yeah. i like the city i don't like their sports teams exactly i don't care much for their weather
1: um i just wanted to make sure that it's mentioned that uh as you know as much as i disdain the city of chicago and abhor this constantly rebranding fire team, I I based off of where uh, Mr. Hendrickson has come from. He's played in the league for a long time, long time with the Galaxy. But importantly, when he was coaching, he started out under the great Siggy Schmid, which sure we've all heard that name before. So uh, I I look to see some great things from him, and I would not be surprised if Chicago in the next year or two becomes a bubble team on the playoffs and actually looks consistently decent on the field. So look out for that one. Might make Derby games very interesting.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's one thing. A stronger team in Chicago. But uh, they could wait a couple of years till they're still on even keel as we're an expansion you know, team going in. We'll see how that goes. There was also another head coaching hire. Again, not a big shock. Uh, Vancouver. The Whitecaps went ahead and made Vanny Sartini. Their permanent head coach did quite a good job for them in uh, the end of the season heading into the playoffs. And uh, he's beloved by sports writers all across MLS and soccer because he's just a quote machine and also seems to have a lot of fun with it, even if he maybe sloughed off uh, sporting fans a little with an offhanded comment in a press conference. But you uh, love it. It's great for the Vancouver fan base to get something like that from their coach because Vancouver, being in the Cascadia Cup area, has really been trailing behind Seattle and Portland in a big way. They got all the money from Alfonso Davies' transfer and help with their academy, but they haven't been moving forward. Let's see what happens going forward. You can only coach what the talent you have on the field. You can get the most out of it, like Sartini did at the end of the season, like Pablo. uh Paolo Amastriani has done in RSL, and especially looking at Robert Frazier and what he's done with the Colorado Rapids team, but you still need some talent on the field, and we'll see how that goes forward.
2: Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't win championships, doesn't win shields, but there is something to be said to having a, a likable and charismatic coach um, that really bolsters a fan base and can bolster your locker room. Yeah. Uh, you can look at the Blues when they brought verubi in. Uh, he was, you know, not the same kind of fun and not quite the same kind of likable. But he, you know, on top of being a good coach in that locker room, having talent, there was just something different to him than, yo, and look where
0: the Blues went. That happens. Sometimes it's just a different voice. Mm-hmm. Kind of like I think what happened with Bob Bradley and LAFC is they got tired of the same voice over and over. Time for a change. Maybe he got a little tired of it, too, and it was time for a change. It happens. Happens all the time. It, so it doesn't seem to happen to sporting.
1: <laughs> I was just about to say, sometimes you just get the right personality and like a big personality like Peter Vermees that comes in, just fits with the squad. Um, and it, it there's just something about the, the the way he talks where he's just real about what he says. He just says what comes to mind and doesn't care if he gets fined. So, who I mean, it, having another big personality in the league is never a bad thing, in my opinion, as far as coaches go.
0: One reason to keep track of all these coaching moves is that St. Louis City SC is getting time to really start looking at picking who's going to lead them into their first season. So as coaches get picked off of the pile... Uh, That could change things going forward. One rumor I have, and it's been persistent, is that Gerhard Struber, the head coach of Red Bull New York, is being eyed by a couple of uh, Bundesliga teams. So he could be hired away from uh, the Red Bulls. And City's already been linked with his assistant, Bradley Carnell, who was an interim coach for the Red Bulls last year. Uh, See how that affects City going forward. Of course, we've had no further news in initial report that the talks were ongoing. So, you know, he fits the profile, uh, knowing how to play the game that Lutz wants to. Don't know if the Red Bull New York would hire him. He's been in the system for a while. If City's going to hire him or they're looking for other people. It's just something to keep the eye on as we get an MLS silly season. And uh, another thing to kind of start keeping an eye on and how all this works is that uh, today is the deadline for non-playoff teams to announce uh, roster changes, who they're getting rid of. We've got a few in at the time of recording. I'm sure there's going to be more and more probably while we are recording this and there'll be news out there. But uh, Sean, why don't you explain? There's a big one coming out of Sporting KC today, wasn't there?
1: Yeah, like literally right before we sat down, it got released. The players that are not going to be returning for Sporting KC and a couple of big names in there with uh, Luis Martins, the basically only left back we have. And uh, one, Ilie Sanchez is on the market. And for those of you that don't remember, he was our number six who basically had to fill in as our center back when Izzy Marine went down. Big, very important part of this team all the play went through him and now he's just gone. So that's very shocking, but I'm looking to see maybe he goes somewhere on a one-year contract and then plays in the midfield for city. I'd like to see that.
0: I'd like to see that very much. Nah, yeah, we'll see. I wouldn't hold my breath though.
2: Yeah. I think a little too early to start speculating on players moving now if they might end up
1: with
0: us. Oh,
1: definitely. Definitely. I just wanted to, Put a little spice in there. Just put a little spice. spice.
0: A little spice. Pop a little salt on top of the dish, so to speak. Oh,
1: whoa, whoa, whoa. Too spicy there. Salt (laughs) is too spicy.
2: (laughs) Oh, you have that English palate.
0: Uh, One thing I have been hearing on the down low is that... uh, Lutz is just, a, I think we're going to expect to see a lot of very young players in the inaugural season. We'll see how it goes forward. Got to add some veteran mix, and he's already said that before, but we'll see how that goes. Uh, but Ili Sanchez, from what we saw before we started recording, was far and away the most surprising. I was really shocked to hear that. I understand sporting has out of contract is, I believe, Roger Espinosa and Graham Zusi they could be negotiating with them as well. I do know Zeusie's getting a lo- little long in the tooth, but uh, we saw in the first playoff game he still has a lot to offer out there. So we'll see oh, how yeah. that they're goes. Both, I, I expect him back. They're
1: both in negotiations for sure. It's been reported that they're in contract talks, which surprised me that they weren't in talks with Um, uh, The one thing I want to note is this might be important uh, just as far as having to protect as few people as possible for the expansion draft. And then they get in talks with him after free agency starts. So they didn't have to protect him so they can bring him right back. That would be a good good step around for sure. Yeah. I was just thinking that is like the thing that we're really
2: going to want to keep our eye on is the expansion draft. These might be strategy moves about the expansion draft.
0: Yeah. The one thing we got to keep in mind though, is uh, Charlotte's got a very ambitious owner with deep, big, deep pockets, uh, You keep them out in free agency, he might just money whip them and steal them away from you. So there is risk involved with that. Not saying it's going to happen, but it's also a thought to add into that just to make things more complicated and chaotic because that's what MLS is all about.
1: Yeah, but at the same time, if you look at the scheduling, um, the expansion draft is the day before free agency starts. So once the draft is done, you can start talking to these guys again. And then the next day, boom, sign them.
0: So that is true. Mm Mm-hmm. That is true.
2: A
1: lot of politicking
2: mm-hmm. likely going on.
0: For sure. LA Galaxy made a little news. That they did not... Uh, Jonah Del Santos, DP player, is now out. He didn't re-sign a contract. Not surprising. He'd been a very good player for the Galaxy. I can't say he was that imp- really impactful for him this season. He injured a bit. Seemed gone off of the schedule there with Greg Vanny in. And Victor Vasquez. Brought in from Toronto, uh, a little long in the tooth himself, but really ran the midfield for Vanny. He wasn't re-upped. Of course, negotiations could go on. That was kind of surprising. Any other roster news that we heard that uh, were was notable? Uh, it looks
1: like Matt Beisler officially retired. Didn't know if we mentioned that. Uh, I know he put out a statement saying he was effectively done once Austin's season was done, but it's always sad to see a a grade of the league go go and retire like that.
0: Yeah, Austin made some moves, none surprising. Uh, Schoenfeld, their erstwhile striker, he's gone. Jared Stroud, who was pretty good about early in the season getting in position, but just couldn't seem to score a goal, he's gone. Ben Sweat's gone. They got some young upcomers. They got a core. We'll see what they do. The other one to keep an eye on is Inter Miami. They're going to be shedding a lot of extra weight because they're really getting hit with Tam because of their uh, scandal in the front office, it's going to really affect them going forward. And uh, they got, what's his name? Chris Henderson from uh, Seattle came in and, and started working with them in the front office. He's got his hands full there. He gets to mold and shape them, but not in the way most people want to mold and shape a team.
2: Yeah. I will say uh greats of the league leaving. Um, I don't think we talked about it when it happened. Uh, Nani left Orlando City a while back, so don't know if he's looking to linger around MLS and he's on the market or if he's heading somewhere else. But
0: Yeah, he's also nearing the end of his uh, illustrious career. Might find him back in Portugal. Might find him in MLS. Seemed to have liked it over here. I do have to say, for a big-name sort of getting past 30, DP coming in, he's been very impactful. Seemed to show up for all the games. He did tend to fade down the stretch every season he was here, probably showing his age in that way and the way he plays. He plays really hard. So it's kind of sorry to see him go, but, you know, time catches up to all of us. As of now, I can't think of any other roster news that I've heard coming into this. And uh, I think that'll wrap it up today for the MLS news and probably pretty much wrap it up for today's show.
2: That's about all I got. Yep, that's it for me.
0: Well, thank you again, lovely listeners, for listening to us here. This is our 23rd episode of the Soccer Capital Podcast, and I'm your host, Mike Turner. I'm your producer, Mason. And I'm your resident hooligan, Sean. And we are the Soccer Capital Podcast. Thanks for listening. Bye for now.